It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome everyone to another edition of Reliving the War. My name is Nims Azor, joined as always by Simon Tackler. We are, as what it says in the intro, reliving the Monday Night Wars. And we are at a very exciting time in the Monday Night Wars. It is 1997. We'd almost, we, I'd say that we're not quite at the bubbly bit of it. We're still preheating the oven, but Simon, I'll tell you what. It's looking really, really good. We've had um, the WWFN really stand up and fire a couple of shots back, haven't we? Yeah, we've we've said for so many episodes how underrated some of these in-your-house and WWE pay-per-views in general were throughout 96. The 97 Royal Rumble was good. Final Four was a fun show. But man, WrestleMania 13 has the reputation as a bad WrestleMania and a one-match show. And after re-watching it, I still agree with that sentiment. I'll be honest. <laughs> if you only watched this show and you thought, oh, let me check back in with WWE in 1997, you would think they've lost it. You would think that is it. WCW is going to walk all over them. Because aside from you know one or two highlights, this is a really, really bad WrestleMania. I'd say bottom five. You know, mm. What WrestleMania are we almost up to in 21? Like WrestleMania 37 or something? 37, yeah. Yeah. Man, this is still bottom five, I think. We might, I know that we often sometimes say that we're a little bit harsh on the WCW pay per views, but you know, all in all, they are, except for the ending, they, except for the endings and the main event, they're all pretty garbage. There's not much to salvage out of it. This seems to be like WWF went for the WCW playbook. They're like, do we have anything good on here? Yes, we do. All right. Don't worry. Don't worry about everything else. We'll just filter that around because garbage might be a little bit harsh because they are some very good pay-per-views. But you're right. It's the definition of a one-match show. And we'll start off with the intro because you get a black and white, very epic intro. The showcase of the Immortals is is mentioned. This feels very, very big deal. But... It's still in arenas. We're still using the old school WrestleMania theme, but Vince McMahon is still just as hyped as he always is. And like we saw earlier on in the WCW pay-per-view for Super Brawl, they're spruiking about how many countries they're in. It's like, welcome to everyone in Europe. Well, yeah, this was the expansion of pay-per-view into international territories. I suppose we sort of take it for granted now that you can just watch any pay-per-view and then, you know, things move to the WWE network. But it's weird to think that in 1997, people in Australia and parts of Europe and Asia and around the world really weren't able to watch these lives. Like it was new, 13 WrestleManias in, I can finally watch it live. Wow. 
It's it's so strange too. And just to take you back to a little snapshot of the time now, you'd remember this, son, because you were obviously an Optus viewer. Now I had the early Foxtel. You know, it sort of carried over from the the old Galaxy pay TV days, and we didn't have all the WWF pay-per-views. It was only the big four, but we had everything WCW. So Australia was very much WCW country. So I could sort of see why Vince would be hyped that we're getting into your house overseas. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. It wasn't until 2001 that Australian viewers could order every single WWE pay-per-view. Just going to the start of this show though, look, if I only showed you the first minute of this show, you would say this feels like WrestleMania. The amazing black and white intro video, like you said, voiced over by um, Jim Fagan, who's done them all mm-hmm. in this era. Amazing. I love how serious this intro was. They don't dumb it down. They're not trying to say, oh, WrestleMania is a fun time. This was back in the era where WrestleMania is grand and deadly serious. And I loved it. Like they don't dumb it down for the kiddie audience. It's like, this is men who were heroes and now have been betrayed. It, it was amazing. But the, the shift in tone, as you said, the classic WrestleMania theme, the second the intro finished and then it went into the Linda McMahon music, just, mm. <laughs> just love it. But that it's was such a, a, the transitional before they committed to the attitude area. You got a foot still left over in the Hulk Hogan, you know, poppier days. And there is no greater reinforcement of that fact than the first thing you see in ring wise is the freaking godwins the godwins are back and oh my god this was just first off when i i i I couldn't even remember that the godwins had a match there because for me wrestlemania 13 i remember the sid match i remember the tag match i remember the little hardcore brawl but i did not remember the four-way tag team match I would have thought this would have been the free-for-all pre-show match. When it started, I literally, my first note is, I won't say the words, I just said FFS, the Godwins <laughs> opening this show, not again. <laughs> Although one thing I noticed that I hadn't on the other pay-per-views, so WWE, for whatever reason, don't own the song that the Godwins and Hillbilly Jim had always used, the Don't Go Messing With a Country Boy. They use this generic dub over, but this was the first time I noticed that for whatever reason, they had to get Howard Finkel in post to redo their intro. He clearly was in a studio and not in the arena saying, and coming down to the ring, the Godwins. And it was, yeah, terrible audio. Really, really strange that. But yeah, it really made you go, oh, geez. I'm like, thankfully, well, spoiler alert, there are no smoking guns on this show, so we can at least relax there. But we've got <laughs> Furnace and Lafon and the Headbangers and the new Blackjack. So when you're saying there's no smoking guns, there might as well be. <laughs> let's let's touch on the new Blackjacks for a second because we get a little cutaway piece. Also, I should point out, much like I just glossed over Furnace and Lafon, pretty much the crowd did as well. They got the zeroest of reactions to anyone entering at a WrestleMania. Michael Cole at WrestleMania 28 got a bigger reaction. I reckon Furnace and Lafon would be more over in 2021 in the WWE than they were here because they're serious wrestlers who do suplexes and technical things. That didn't get over in this era. And I don't think it should now either. These guys have literally no personality. I don't care how good they can do moves. These guys are the worst. Yeah. 
absolutely zero personality from these two guys. They look like two creator wrestlers. They wrestle like creator wrestlers uh, that someone's put on the technical setting. But what I thought was interesting was when they're introducing the new Blackjacks, they show you footage from August 1975 and the original Blackjacks before cutting to the the new Blackjacks. And JBL, when you remember, like they've done a great job of completely, not brainwashing, but consigning to history that JBL had all these awful gimmicks. Like when you think about it, everyone always just thinks of JBL as like, oh, before he reinvented himself, he was an acolyte and he was in the ministry. That's his career. Oh no, he had a lot of stinkers. Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Blackjack Bradshaw, exactly. you know, just and then Brawl for All Bradshaw, and then then Acolytes. And even Acolytes, he was like a Satanist. Then he became APA Bradshaw. Mm. And then he was lost yeah. in the wilderness, Bradshaw, where he was hardcore champion, flipping people the bird. Like Bradshaw, man, he took a while. He peaked late, that's for sure. He certainly did too. Now, this is something that I wanted to uh, ask you, Simon. Did you happen to notice too? Because this was the Headbangers. Um, it, it was their debut WrestleMania. And you being a big metalhead, did you notice the two shirts that the Headbangers were wearing? Well, I know one of them had a Metallica shirt on and the other guy had a white zombie shirt on. That's the one. Now, I this is the era where, like, because obviously the Headbangers towards the late end of uh, 1998 and the mid sort of 1998 uh how to put it the rise of the rock and the, the like real peak wwf is fighting back here austin versus mcmahon the headbangers started wearing their own merch yeah uh, what point in time do you reckon they stopped doing the just wear the random metal shirts Ooh, that's a tricky one because i feel like i've pictured them in marilyn manson shirts for a while Let's see if we can pick it. We'll remember that we recorded this on the WrestleMania 13 episode. <laughs> I'm going to say by, you're right, when merch became real big in the Attitude Era. I'm going to say by SummerSlam 98. I reckon they yeah. wear band shirts for a while. I'm going to go as, as far as saying, well into 99, they still have band shirts before someone said, hey, these guys are really popular. Let's let's put them on, put them in, in actual, their own merch because... When SmackDown debuted in 2000, they're in full-on merch shirts. Really? Like they're always wearing their own gear. But I think it gets up to as late as 1999 where Mosh and Thrasher are just going, what shirt are you wearing today? I might go with a Slayer one. How about you? <laughs> Who is this person that you claim said to anyone, look how popular the headbangers are? That's what I want to know. And <laughs> what point in this era did that person get fired? <laughs> The thing with the, the thing that we also forget too is the Headbangers actually had a brief WWE re-return in 2016 on the new SmackDown when they came on for one match, <laughs> one match. It was weird. Was just it was absolutely bizarre. But look, let's get straight into the match here. It's just a a crazy. I don't know what it is. The the it's for me. It when I, while I was watching, I was just like. Oh, so this is probably the era where they first introduced that we need to have all the all the wrestlers on the card do a four-way tag match. Yeah, that's right. The old WrestleMania payday, get everyone on the card match. That's exactly what this was. I was dreading this match. Thankfully, they got rid of two teams at once because when they said it was elimination, I thought, is this going to kill 40 minutes of the show? Thankfully, they counted out, I think it was Furnace and Lafon and the Blackjacks. All at once, five minutes in, they were like, get him out of this match. 
Which actually proved to be a masterstroke because the Godwins and the Headbangers did all the heavy lifting and the Headbangers really impressed me. Look, they do some really good tag team moves and I think that's sort of lost. Like we know there are teams now like the Young Bucks and FTR who do some of those, you know, focus on actual double teams, but the Headbangers really incorporated that. So they are kind of fun to watch. I'm not going to you know, just crap on them. They have some talent, but the Godwins, I'm so done with them. Hopefully this is it. Yeah, you can tell that this was a real changing of the guard moment, but I don't think anyone knew at the time it was a changing of the guard moment because the Headbangers, they get their first win. Chaz and, not Chaz, um, Mosh and Thrasher (laughs) just really like absolutely shine here they're completely different from everything else that we have seen because you're right where we're used to seeing the godwins we're used to seeing the smoking guns bulldog and owen while they are great they are living that the only reason they're so good um and i still remember this because owen does such a great job as a character same with bulldog they've got that tenure hmm. but everything else in this division absolute garbage and absolutely. the headbangers were sort of they were sort of a breath of fresh air They really were. And they felt modern too. Like we've got two versions of cowboys at this point. We've got the smoking guns and the blackjacks. (laughs) We've got the rednecks in the Godwins. We've got whatever Furnace and Lafona. They're literally nothing. They might as well. They're no one. (laughs) Yeah. They're an insult to calling milk boring or something. Like, I don't know what they are. But anyway, the headbangers felt modern. They're of the time. They're wearing white zombie and Metallica shirts. They're kind of cool. Um, This match, though, before we move on from it, I was zoning out because I don't want to watch these guys wrestle. So that led to me paying attention to the commentary as we do on this show. There were some amazing lines here. So when the headbangers were in wearing their band shirts, King said to McMahon, your favorite rock group is Mount Rushmore. I thought that was good. I like that line too. Old-fashioned singer. (laughs) Uh, And then King also said when the Godwins were in the ring, he said, there's one good thing about being a dumb guy from Arkansas. You may end up being the president someday. So, of course, Bill Clinton <laughs> was president at the time. And I suppose as a kid, you don't know the political leanings of wrestlers. But now that you hear it, you're like, of course, you damn Republican <laughs> conservative you know, wrestlers would say something like that. But I thought that was a fun one. And then Vince. Normally, Vince plays it straight. We don't hear him saying anything... Um, too out there or offensive or controversial yeah this was one of the most hardcore lines i've heard so when um godwins were in the ring they spat at the headbangers and then their headbangers spat back at them and then vin said well there's no telling what phineas could be doing with those farm animals in relation (laughs) to him being okay with being spat on and king and jr were like what Well, well, I'm just inferring that uh, he could be sleeping with them. And it was like, all right, calm down, Vince. I I like to think that when uh, when Vince saw this match, because there is a seismic shift between WrestleMania 13 and like WrestleMania 12 and 13 kind of in the same basket. WrestleMania 13 and 14, there is a world of difference. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. So maybe this was Vince testing the waters. (laughs) This is the moment where maybe Vince is going, you know what? Maybe things have to change as he's watching (laughs) the Godwins and the Headbangers put on a classic. He'd probably rather be watching whatever he thinks Phineas does with the animals in this show. (laughs) But But yeah, look, fairly unmemorable match this one too. Like you said, Zahn, it was hard, hard to watch. At this point in time, I like... 
right now, like I, when we're spending more time talking about the white zombie and the Metallica shirts rather than the match, <laughs> that'll sum up just how good this opener was for WrestleMania 13. But then we get to an ad for the next In Your House. Doesn't have a name as yet. It's just referred to as an ad for In Your House. But the best part that I love was Vince and JR at the end going, now tickets aren't on sale yet. We're just giving you the date. Just don't get your tickets yet. Yeah, that was weird. Like things were really rushed. Norm, every single in your house has a tagline, you know, it's time, beware of dog, international mm. incident. This was just in your house, tickets aren't on sale. Like nothing's <laughs> planned. One thing though about that in your house ad, which I thought was a little bit telling, if you notice in the promo, the final image that you see on screen and wrestling fans we often like to read too much into stuff i mean every time you see an intro for wwe programming for smackdown it's always like roman reigns is the last person you see kenny omega is the last person you sort of see in um in the dynamite intro you know that sort of shows you this is the feature point of the company the last person you see and the last soundbite you hear off that in your house ad is actually stone cold steve austin I think they knew at this point that Austin's the guy and they're starting to put that focus on him. We hadn't really seen that yet. I think they know by this point we're going to have to put him in that main event mix. Very much so. And that leads us to our next match because it's almost kind of uh, poetic what happens next because then you have Honky Tonk Man coming into the ring. He joins the commentary team. He's there's some horrible Elvis jokes there as well, and a lot of. You're right. There's so many hangovers from that really Hogan-esque, larger than life. Everyone's a plumber or a, a garbage <laughs> man sort of era. But um, then you have the Sultan, who's with the Sheik and Bob Backlund, taking on Rocky Maivia. Now this is Rock's first WrestleMania. The Rock's first ever WrestleMania, and uh, during his entrance, I was just thinking to myself about the stats. The Rock's first WrestleMania, it's for the Intercontinental title. The next year, it's for the IC title. A year later, WWE title. The year later, WWE title. And after that, his first five WrestleManias are title matches. Mm. I don't know. I'm sure there's other people in that mix too. But damn, that's impressive. And for him to just, you know, step it up, you know, in two years from now, he's the main event and that's it. And then the biggest star ever. What's even crazier too, after that, so... That's the first five WrestleManias. By his sixth WrestleMania, he's already got a Hollywood movie out. Yeah, actually, by his sixth WrestleMania, he's not even in a real match. He's in a Legends match with Hulk Hogan. And then after that, a Legends match with Austin. (laughs) Within within a decade, like well within a decade, clearing the decade by four years, he's had a whole career and he's done. And it's like, see you later. Now I'm... so crazy when you when you actually put that in. yeah i like it's only when you list the first film like that's pretty that's a pretty big rise for a wrestler <laughs> what did he do after that oh hang on a second he really really shot to the stars yeah and that's he's the rock but i'm telling you you watch this match even though it's fine you would not you couldn't predict that like you could predict that he has so much potential but you can't really see it just yet where it could go yeah, and look, there's Rocky Sucks chance here. Very audible Rocky Sucks chance as well. Um, there is a, there's another, we talk about the commentary. We've got a line from, because he, I think he must have got, I haven't, I wasn't watching the Raws during that time. So he must have won a Slammy Award for Best Newcomer or something maybe. And New Sensation. King, 
yeah, new sensation or whatever it is, the rookie of the year. And uh, King was talking about his speech. And the line that stood out for me was, Rocky's speech was so boring, Christopher Reeve walked out. Yeah, I've got that written down too. That was the line of this match. You couldn't say that now. You probably shouldn't have said it then, but it's like, <laughs> Uh, I commentary has a real negative vibe so far. It really does. But well, put it this way: they they have to sit there and watch WrestleMania 13 <laughs> as well. Even with front row tickets, this show is not. I wrote in this match: this does, aside from the great intro, doesn't feel like WrestleMania. Correct. I've even written here: this match has no chance. <laughs> and and, because, look, and it's the... two really good wrestlers. It shows how much of a difference your character, your gimmick, your presentation makes. In what year is this? 97. In 97, three yeah. years, these guys would wrestle, you know, multiple variations, tag teams, single matches, pay-per-view, Raw, and burn the house down and have people like going crazy. This is The Rock and Rikishi, two of the biggest stars of the Attitude Era. But right here, my God, is it boring. I've written down Rikishi looks in great shape uh, oh, as does. well. Um, the Rock, the, you see a couple of things that he's kept through his uh, repertoire, like his kip-up he does. He just completely just dropped doing any drop kicks and anything like that. He does his little flying crossbody off the top rope, but it really is a match. The crowd is very vocal, but they're not vocal because of the match. They're vocal because they hate The Rock. They hate him. They only cheer a couple of times. One of the moves he did that got a great reaction was the jump swing DDT, which I'll admit, like... At the time, that was one of the coolest moves ever. I don't know if anyone did it before him, but The Rock made that his move. And it's mm. good. Not many people use it now. It's like very impressive. Um, at one point, though, it goes into rest holds for what feels like an eternity. Yeah, yeah. I've actually written that down here. Rest hold city. <laughs> oh, my God. It's 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 not a great sort of advertisement to, and like you said, like from what we see three years later, that in in two thousand, Rikishi, one of the most popular, uh, he's one of the most popular superstars in the WWF, alongside Too Cool, that were rebranded, uh, Brian Christopher and Scotty and Scott Taylor, was it mm. Scott Taylor? Yeah, Scott Taylor. Yeah, became became Scotty Too Hotty and uh, Grandmaster Sexy and absolutely tore down the, the place to the point where Scotty Too Hotty actually had a cool singles feud with Dean Malenko over the light heavyweight championship for crying out loud. Like well, they were so that... popular that Rikishi ran over Stone Cold. Like mm. that says it all. And right now they're they've got no chance. Absolutely no chance in hell. So um The Rock wins the match, but it's really all about the post-match beatdown here because The Rock's dad, Rocky Johnson, comes out to help, but he gets beaten down as well. They do clean house and they have a little moment, but if for more recent fans, do you remember the the Royal Rumble where Roman Reigns won and The Rock comes out afterwards? (laughs) Yeah. Did it seem a bit like that to you? Oh, the, the crowd was a little bit respectful. It might not, I, I guarantee you this wasn't the reaction Vince McMahon envisioned. He thought they were going to go crazy for this legend of the past and his son, but the crowd, it was just polite applause. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Cool. It's like, we respect you, Rocky Johnson. Yes. Yeah. Well done. Mm. Oh, not really a WrestleMania moment, though. You'd think this would be a thing they'd try and rewrite history with and incorporate into packages like the multiple generations, you know, and just, they never use this footage of the two Mm. rocks. 
it's it's interesting too that you mentioned because like it's not like there there's there was a big falling out with the rock's dad and the company they've always been on fantastic terms in fact the, the johnson families the entire uh lineage of um they've got a fantastic relationship they're treated with the utmost of respect but you're right they mm. never bring it up they it always seems like the rock debuted he was a blue chipper the crowd hated him he joined the nation became the biggest star in the world <laughs> that was it but even though he had this weird wrestlemania moment they're like nah it doesn't count nah nah we wouldn't put that just dude, look he wrestled hogan for crying out loud in toronto leave it at that that's the moment we use <laughs> exactly that hulk hogan was his dad when he pointed to him he might have that was the real <laughs> generational moment we move on next to a Ken Shamrock promo. Now, you would have watched a lot of Ken Shamrock back in the Attitude Era, and you remember how intense he was and his promos. Did this Ken Shamrock just shock you when he opened his mouth? I Look, there's two Ken Shamrocks. We all remember the, I'm in my zone, and him like losing the plot. But no, I think we we sort of, we've blanked it out of our memory, like Rocky Johnson showing up, that... <laughs> The other side of Ken Shamrock is the most boring man in the world. And that's what this was. He only had two gears and that's park and like top gear, nothing else. <laughs> I've written down here, Ken Shamrock sounds like a dude doing a Vox pop at a supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That I'm pretty much sums it up. Get milk. You know, that's why I come to this shop and that was it. Well, I popped in and I thought, yeah, yeah, look, oh, well, yeah, I think it'll be a very good match later on. Cool. Thank you. You're going to use that. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's essentially what happened. I'll admit uh, that at the time, I didn't know who Ken Shamrock was. In fact, you want to talk about weird parallels here. So let's look at what happens at WrestleMania 13. Ken Shamrock, mild-mannered Ken Shamrock is doing a little promo backstage talking about how he's going to, you know, call it fair and square down the line. At the next WrestleMania... Doesn't he wrestle The Rock? He wrestles The Rock for the Intercontinental Championship in a yeah. kind of like not underrated, but sort of forgotten to history match. It's really entertaining and the crowd loves it, but what a difference a year makes for these guys. Hmm. And I, I will call you out on that one, son, because that everyone remembers that match because Impact used that in their uh, Hall of Fame video package when they inducted Ken Shamrock into the Impact Wrestling Hall of Fame. How? What? They used stills of it. No, no, WWE actually gave them footage from WrestleMania 18 and The Rock, not uh, not 18, sorry, WrestleMania 14, and The Rock actually did a video message to induct Ken Shamrock into the Impact Hall of Fame. I saw the video message. I had no idea they used footage. Wow. WWE really doesn't care about Impact for them to be like, you're not competition. Here's some footage. Wow. Correct. Because if you, and you you you're 100% spot on because look at how much impact footage is on the WWE network. It's yeah, insane. That's the working relationship now that WWE has with impact because they're like, ah, oh, come on guys. You had a good crack, but, uh, <laughs> which is, but yeah, that's how much. So yeah, that match is retroactively brought back oh, up good. because of Ken Shamrock's work in TNA, but we're I getting well. That, they had a great feud. So I'm glad that Ken Shamrock rates it as his top one too. That video message from The Rock, though, I know we're getting off track. I know it was during COVID. He had to send it by a video. But it almost looks like Ken Shamrock just paid for a, for a cameo from a cameo. The Rock. <laughs> hey, man, this goes out to my biggest fan, uh, Ken Shamrock. Your buddy Dan says you love me. Like, It's awesome. Oh, man, it really does. Uh, look, we've got the Ken Shamrock promo. That leads us into a Triple H promo 
And this one's bizarre because he's got China with him, with him at the time. China's still that sort of silent but violent enforcer. And Triple H, do you see any shades of him shedding the, the Hunter Hearst Helmsley? Because I see a little bit of the, the DX Triple H coming out now. Yeah, a little bit he, more to the forefront. I think we saw him drop the accent around Survivor Series, but he still wasn't sure what to do in his promos. It was very generic. I think in this one, we saw a bit of the attitude of sort of what we consider the real Triple H here. We're so close. Like, Triple H is almost there. He is. He is. And that leads us to our next match, which is Triple H taking on Goldust. Got to say this, like, anyone that's watched um, Dustin Rhodes recently wrestle, he... You put this match next to a match of his today, it's still he still goes at the same pace. I want to give a shout out to Dustin Rhodes because he has still got it. And Goldust absolutely brings the fire here. He is unstoppable. Yeah, we've seen both of these guys have really good matches throughout 96. They've got pretty good chemistry. As a wrestling match, this is pretty good. It's kind of boring still, as is the vibe of this show. The crowd's like not fully into it, but yeah, I don't know. It just never gets out of second gear for me. It's it's another one too that like, you know, Goldust is the star of this show at the moment because he's he's got all the moves. He's he's going through his greatest hits essentially and Triple H is there. His job is to be the bad guy getting his comeuppance. That's it. That's yeah. pretty much it. And for so better show, almost, but we, one of the skills of Triple H it feels like as a bad guy, he'll almost purposely not do a lot. Like, he doesn't do a lot of moves. It's not that he can't. Triple H can do plenty. He's very athletic and, you know, talented and whatever. But there are times where he just won't do a lot to suit the match. And, man, this one, yeah, I thought got hard to watch. After what we've seen already, this was losing me. As I, as we mentioned the commentary a little bit too, you get to the point in this match where but not only Vince, not only King, but everyone on the panel including JR. So all three of the play-by-play guys are making jokes about Triple H's nose. <laughs> oh, Triple H's nose. I thought you were going to say about China's gender because it was between oh, those yeah. two topics. This commentary was just harsh. It was just, yeah, three guys like at a roast. They yeah. weren't paying attention. I will say there was a... Did you notice during the intro, they cut to a sign... You know, obviously not cool, but at the time, sort of normal insult people would make back then. It said, Hunter in China, who wears the pants in the family? And all of the mm. commentators chuckled. Oh, ha, ha. But then a guy next to him put his sign in front of it, and it was way more offensive. It said, <laughs> when Hunter in China got silly, who gets the willy? And I was like, oh, damn. Oh, man. Yeah, you can see, cut away now, cut away now. Yeah, yeah. like that's not the one we wanted. This is a very nothing match. The ending I've written down could not happen in 2021 because Marlena just gets absolutely manhandled by China. It's just so odd to watch. That's the only part of this match I remember. And I was looking forward to seeing it again because in my mind, it looks like China is not even holding Terry Reynolds. It feels like she's throwing around... Uh, a dummy that like she used as a, a stunt, like a crash test dummy. And it still does. I have no mm. idea about the physics of whatever was happening, but for some reason, Terry literally looks like a doll. Yeah, it's absolutely rag, rag doll here. 
Yeah. It, look, it's it's not really helping the cause of WrestleMania 13 here. For the biggest show of the year, this really does not feel like a big show of the year. And this is the thing, like, you know, sometimes the biggest show of the year does miss. We've seen Bound for Glory's not work. We There are other bad WrestleManias. Uh, I can't think of any other sort of tentpole sort of shows that uh, sort of... Do. We've seen Starcades. In yeah. fact, we'll get to Starcades. 97 where i can't wait to talk about that one to be quite yeah. honest where that's universally panned so sometimes you just get a lot of misses on a show and unfortunately for the wwf none of these matches are landing yet they were on a run of every second wrestlemania being terrible in this era for some reason they almost break the curse in two years time but 9 11 and 13 are generally considered the three worst wrestlemanias ever and i think they still hold up as three of the worst ever mm. 15, uh, I think, has a lot of rose-colored glasses with it because it's the height of Austin versus Rock. But I think it's the Raws around yeah. WrestleMania 15 that are really good. And WrestleMania 15, just a bit like, eh, I'm looking whatever. forward to reviewing it in two years' time. Um, mm. <laughs> it may not be the best wrestling show, but from what I remember, it's it's just a dumb show. It's an attitude era it almost feels like a big roar from what I remember. It doesn't feel like WrestleMania. It just feels like an over-the-top roar. Everyone always refers to that as the absolute flashpoint for Vince Russo. That is his absolute peak, WrestleMania yeah. 15. Well, I mean, the pay-per-view was called The Raging Climax. That's mm, the yes. most Vince Russo thing ever. So we'll get to that. Oh, but yeah, just as a teaser for that episode <laughs> in two years' time, Subscribe it also featured... It also features the boss man being hung. Man, boss man being hung. Yeah, the, the main event with Austin and Rock. They're the two things we all remember. Oh, so strange. Absolutely so strange. Uh, look, then we we get into the next segment, which is HBK in the AOL little chat room. And this leads us to that great, the actual footage, the origin <laughs> of that little meme of HBK at a, at a computer, like going, what is this thing? And typing with just his two index two fingers. the old man typing yeah the, the great thing is is that not only has this lived on forever in internet culture and you know uh, online wrestling forums and twitter and instagram but it turned into a running joke with Shawn michaels anytime he had to interact with technology on the show he would <laughs> pretend like he didn't know what it was and this is the genesis of that and then you know what's even better did you notice on the network this segment has its own chapter no, it, it's called Shawn Michaels in cyberspace because I reckon so many people on the network have like, oh, where'd that gif and meme come from? So they've marked it for you. If you want to see see it in full and not just gif form, Shawn Michaels in cyberspace in the network will bring it up. That's fantastic because you certainly don't see, you know, Harlem Heat on CompuServe uh, <laughs> as one of the chapters in any of the other ones. But hey, we move on to... <laughs> that's why he's the greatest of all time. Greatest in-ring performer, greatest uh, AOL, you know, cyberspace vignette guy. Greatest late 90s web cutaway yeah. <laughs> performer. <laughs> uh, that leads us to our next match. Vader and Mankind versus Bulldog and Owen. Now, we, if you've been listening to our previous episodes, you to our previous episodes you know that there's been a bit of uh, tension simmering between bulldog and owen jr starts, tries to stir the pot here a little bit but bulldog is also the european champion like he won it fairly recently at one night only um I, I can't remember how long ago it was but the european belt is fairly new here and the tagline is 
Owen has two slammies. Bulldog's got two belts. Yeah, that's it. And they sort of dropped this once they all joined the Heart Foundation, but it felt like they were trying to tease a breakup and a feud between them. It goes nowhere, but I thought it was strange how JR, during their entrance, got up from the commentary table and ran down the aisle to interview them. I've never seen that before. And there's a fair stretch between where the commentary table is to where the entrance is. So JR would have really had the skates on there. But uh, another thing, the first note that I've written uh, for this match is Vader hasn't checked out yet. (laughs) He's not bad in this match. I'll be honest. I thought this match was the best so far. Aside from the ending, it felt like it was about to become a a good match that we might have remembered and spoke about. There was good action a lot of good wrestling and suplexes and the crowds into it. They're cheering Owen Hart and Bulldog, but Oh man, they just can't help themselves. And it just has a terrible ending to just deflate everything. So the ending ends in a countdown, but uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because like, I was actually really disappointed in this match because I thought to myself like, Oh, finally, you know, you're not going to get a bad Bulldog and Owen match. They can lift any team which is good, but Vader, I mean, I don't know. It just didn't feel like this match clicked. It was just sort of there. I don't know if it was because they were trying to um, really push that, oh, that Bulldog and Owen, you know, will they keep it together? Like, no, it just sort of seemed to be a there kind of match. It's like, do you remember when you'd play career mode in wrestling video games, how for some reason you'd just be put in random matches with like, it's you versus Steven <laughs> Richards, the big show, and and triple h yeah yeah and you'd you'd have no idea why <laughs> look i'm telling this is you one of my, those matches my expectations were so low at this point that for me i was like yeah this is great <laughs> i was i was happy <laughs> to take any form of excitement and good wrestling at this point like bulldog hit a suplex on vader and then he power slammed him off the top rope for me that was enough at least i saw something from a match that i remembered and the thing is, like, Vader even gets unmasked as well. But it's such a, okay, cool. The, the countout really kills it at the end. Because Vader celebrates it in the end. Does he? Like, yeah, he's, he's, he's like, he's got his hands in the air. He's like, yeah, woo. It's like, what are you celebrating about? Mankind is just like, he's locked in the mandible claw. And Vader's like, woo. Maybe Vader's like, all right, match is over. I can go and get, go have a cold shower and get dumplings. <laughs> I can stop watching this show. <laughs> yeah, but this does not continue. This continues the run of just mediocre matches. I really feel for the Chicago crowd right now because they've had to sit through a lot. And then, we get to the Hart versus Austin video package. Did you notice, and do you reckon this was, it's incredibly foreshadowing, but the amount of times that Brett says that he's been screwed by the company and by the fans and by everyone, do you reckon this is the genesis of where they sort of get the, oh man, like, because Bret Hart's entire career now is defined by the SummerSlam screw job in November. We're nowhere near November at the moment, and they're already... Um, putting in the seeds for him being screwed. We've discussed this on the show before. His whole hmm. character as a bad guy, like the reason why he turns, you know, and gets angrier and angrier from Survivor Series onward, like 96 all the way to 97, he's been targeted. It's a conspiracy and he's been screwed. And like you said, he literally says the word screwed 10 times in hmm. this video package. That is why there's part of me 
that thinks, was it all a setup, a conspiracy, and it was an inside job? Because if anyone would stick to kayfabe and never expose the truth, it's Brett. Because of how serious he takes everything. He takes it so seriously. Scott Hall is a guy that is absolutely championing that this was all a work (laughs) all the time. I don't know if you ever watch it, but but he's just like, how does Brett, like Brett knows where the hard cams are. Brett's doing WCW things. It's like, if I owned a billion dollar company and someone's advertising my cut away, when you cut it, yeah, and it makes so much sense. And like, wasn't that like, the perfect ending to this story of him always being screwed? He got screwed and hmm. became the the martyr in his home country of all places. Like I don't the know. the cam the camera focuses on Vince when he's being spat on. This yeah. is ages before um, <laughs> Austin versus McMahon. So what Scott Hall says: the more you listen to Scott Hall, and it could be like he makes concise arguments of why this could be a work yep but anyway what a great video package though getting to see the run-up to this match you know brett starting to lose it and he's angry that he's been screwed and austin attacking him and them going back and forth it's so good and it sort of sets the stage I, i think we all think of this match as a double turn but this was like the um the apex of that or or the peak mm. of them turning the lead up was the feud they were both starting to hint you know that they were about to swap alignments the thing is too like you can sort of tell that first off i've got to put it on record ken shamrock needed a much bigger shirt for his for his attire here because <laughs> it looked very much like shorts and tightest shirt you've got <laughs> But do you remember back in the day when when you'd have wrestling video games like Attitude or Warzone and their their gear was just the textures painted on? That's what Ken Shamrock's gear looked like right now. He might as well have been topless and someone paint stripes on him. You're right. It was, <laughs> oh man, I don't know how we got out of those clothes, but yeah, he looked ridiculous. He looked just completely crazy there. But you want to talk about though how like, you know, we're already on the road to Austin's popularity and to uh, Brett being a, a heel here. How many Austin 316 signs did you see in that crowd? It seemed like every second person had one. Also, Austin has got a special WrestleMania entrance with the glass shattering literally uh, yep. in front of him. And that's so, something that we would see used in video package up until now. The Austin yep. 316 glass, it breaks, Austin walks out. This is where it comes from. So such an important match for the Austin character. It really is. And this match starts at a 10. The minute the bell rings, it's just absolutely vicious. Yeah, thank God. They wake the crowd up. They just start brawling. And I think it's like two minutes in. They go to the crowd and start brawling through there. And that wasn't overdone at this point yet. It was really exciting. They don't drag things. You know, they just beat the crap out of each other through the crowd. It's really cool. It's also really weird to watch that sort of interaction with the fans during COVID times, but um, <laughs> get too close but, to him, yeah. But but you're right, like they and the crowd is so hot. They have had a fire lit under their seats. They're into it. Austin takes it outside immediately, but the minute Brett takes it back into the ring, Brett takes a good like he takes a hold of the match. And what I thought was really really interested, uh, what I thought was really really interesting, sorry, is that. It really does. These characters are both locked in and start off like that too. Like, you know, Austin is the brawler. He he can be really good technically. We know that this is well before his neck injury, but he's still the dirty fighter. He'll, I'll get you out in the street and I'll do this and do that. Whereas Brett, it's like within the squared circle, I will 
completely own you. He works on the knee. He uses all this psychology. He does the figure four on the um on the leg po- on the um ring post, and he even tries to reenact the pilmanize. Uh, he tries to pilmanize the leg, which is putting Austin's leg into the chair and then stomp on it. Yeah, which I think is great though, because that was a good hint that hey, maybe Brett's starting to be bad, and Austin, you know, you should cheer him because he's valiant and heroic. Brett relies on the ring post. He relies on the chair. He's getting desperate. Whereas Austin, because this is a submission match, Austin does like a grounded lying down abdominal stretch, weird Koji clutch move or whatever. And he does a Boston crab. So there's a certain point where Austin's trying to win with an actual submission, whereas Brett is trying to use weapons because he's desperate. So I think that was great, you know, sort of psychology into where these guys are going as characters. And then there's so much brawling anyway. They use the steps and chairs and everything else. Another cool thing is Austin is still a heel because there's a part where he panders to the crowd and he gets booed. Yeah, that's true. The crowd isn't 100% on board just yet. They're still, yeah, they want to cheer him. They're po- he's still incredibly po- popular, but people still have that like, you know, like, Brett is still the good guy. We still love Brett, but even though Brett's really annoying us right now, he's still our guy. Whereas Austin isn't quite yet until we get to the end of the match. He hasn't quite yet earned the respect, but we see that him do a low blow as well. And I don't know about you, but I think, is this the first time we hear JR say that Austin's stomping a mud hole? Oh, did he say that when he kicked him in the, in the nuts? No, no, he kicks, oh, so he, kicks okay. him in, he, he kicks him in the nuts and then gets him into the corner and then starts doing the little um, the stomps. The, the stomps and the double bird and then continue with the stomps. And JR says he's stomping a mud hole in Bret Hart. Oh, maybe that was the first time because he did the full animation of stomp, 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 fingers, mm. stomp, 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 yeah. shake head and walk off. Yeah. Which is then reused in the video game. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like <laughs> you press the button and he goes into the full animation. This was the first time he did it potentially with the call of stomping a mud hole. It's it it is such a good match this because the crowd is literally hot. There is no rest holes. Does could you seem to spot a rest hole here? Well, that was a great thing because it was built into the match of being submission and the psychology. Any rest hold was them trying to win the match. So you always had the excitement and the jeopardy of like, is the match going to end? It never felt like a you know quote unquote rest hold. And that's what it is with this match. It's not that they're doing flips off the rope and doing anything. It's the pace of it and, you know, everything is built into the story and what makes sense. And it's nonstop. It's energetic. It's so good. It's uh, When people say this is one of the best matches in WrestleMania history, I know it sounds like full of hyperbole, but if you don't like this match, you better have a damn good reason why because this is, it seems flawless, doesn't it? It really does. And it just... It flies by. It's not too long. It just goes. And yeah, to me, it's the the pace of it. It just never lets up. It's a perfect 20-minute or whatever brawl. And then even the ending, like I know we know we all talk about the iconic ending with Austin bleeding in the sharpshooter and he passes out. But when the match ends, because there are no near falls, there are no like, oh my God, he got the ropes at the last minute. It just ends and feels like a fight. Mm. He beat him up. 
and now he can't get up anymore. And it just has that sort of realistic vibe. It's so good. Another thing too, like, which is something that I forgot about this match. You forget that Austin actually powers out of the sharpshooter. Like he, like this is the part where like he's bleeding. It is very iconic, but I completely forgot that he does the, you know, tries to reverse the, uh, the sharpshooter. That part I just completely forgot about. But like you said, we all remember the grab of, you know, Austin never gave up. He never said he quit. He never did this. He never did this. He, He passed out rather than quit. What I what I actually forgot about was the post match beatdown that Brett goes to, um, he goes to try and inflict a bit more damage on Austin, and Shamrock actually takes him down. Yeah, that's almost what cements it. If you were on the fence about Brett and you thought, oh, he acted sort of like a douchebag in that match, the fact that he doesn't let up and keeps kicking Austin's leg, that's what really gives you the the sign that oh, maybe you should boo him now. And then, yeah, Ken Shemrock sort of squaring up to Brett. Got a huge reaction. Yeah, it was mega. Austin then stuns a referee because he doesn't want any help out. Yeah, he valiantly stuns the ref, walks off. And Brett also still gives high fives to his own fans. But there's one guy who flips him off and Brett flips him off back. You know, Mm. Brett wouldn't have done that back in the day. He would have been the bigger man, but not this Brett who's very petty now. It's great. It's such a good little turn here too. Austin does leave to people cheering his name too, which is pretty cool. We see the blood on the canvas, which you would never see in this day and age. In fact, you probably wouldn't see it in the, within the last 10 years in the WWE. But mm. uh, we then get to a uh, backstage little segment with Todd Benningill and the Nation of Domination because it leads into a Chicago street fight. Uh, it's the Nation versus Legion of Doom and Ahmed Johnson. Got to say, there is a hell of a pop for the Road Warriors and Ahmed, isn't there? My God, we've talked about Ahmed Johnson being over in this era before. You combine him with the Legion of Doom in Chicago, getting ready for a street fight. Man, the crowd loses their minds. I've always remembered this match as being really good, and I always feel like I'm the only person who likes it. Every time I watch it, I enjoy it again. And I'm like, no, I'm not crazy. It's awesome. I watched this again and still loved it. Seriously, this is... I know we talk about it being a one-match show. It's not. It's a two-match show. This is underrated, and everyone should watch this match. I agree with you 100 there too, because maybe it was because maybe it was because you're coming off the high of Brett versus Austin, but it, the match still continues. Maybe it's because the nation actually were good characters. Yeah, like you were. Like we all hated for it. We couldn't believe that Savio Vega turned on them. Crush is just there, but he still, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But but like there is a like because it's a compelling story, and like you said, people loved Ahmed Johnson. LOD being from Chicago and natives there, of course, the crowd's going to absolutely go bonkers for him. Did you happen to notice though? Uh, there is a part where they're brawling in the aisle, where Hawk gets a couple of punches to the back from a member in the crowd. No, I missed that. So there's a little bit where like there's just a fan just you know shaking hands and, yeah, and yeah. beating him up. That fan is actually Colt Cabana. Really? Oh, I didn't yep. notice it. Oh, I wish I knew to look out for it. That's hilarious. <laughs> and I only knew that because I was looking out for it because um <laughs> because Colt mentioned it on his podcast uh, sometime he's like he was like, Yeah, I was at WrestleMania 13. You could see me like sneak attacking a hawk from the crowd. Wow. So go back and have a look at that. But it's it's really cool. And this is the thing. I love this. This match, and this is one of those ones where I think WWE are flirting with the ECW style of fight. 
because yeah. it's just so cool. Only two bits made me a little bit uncomfortable, and that's when they brought out the noose. And even in 1997, I'm pretty sure using a noose on two African-American wrestlers probably isn't the best thing in the I world. feel but- like real quick, Ahmed took it off himself and he was like, I'm not doing this. And then they swapped yeah. it to Hawk being in the noose. I didn't even notice when they put it on Hawk, <laughs> but it's almost like Ahmed was like, nah, man, there's a lot. Nah. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> this um, is not going down yet. <laughs> but seriously, Ahmed Johnson felt like a perfect fit for LOD. Like if they became a group, I would have been cool with it. They looked awesome all coming out in the spikes. Ahmed's as big as them and crazy as them. Like, man, it was so fun. Like, I, I, this is their, all three of those guys, this is their last great moment. The LOD, this is their last good match. This is Ahmed's, like, last moment as, you know, being that really popular up-and-comer. It's so good. What about Ahmed flipping over the guardrail onto Crush? He does a tope over the guardrail. Yeah. And then when the camera cuts back to him with Crush back on the audience, like, back on the ringside, Ahmed then does a full dive. He does two dives within like two minutes. The best part about the second dive back into the uh, back into the arena is it's in the background, yeah, like it's yes. not focused. <laughs> you just see Ahmed flying to shot, just straight up tope. Like he's, you know, they say, oh, people these days do too many dives. Ahmed was, you know, ahead of his time. He, he picked his moments. He just flew straight in there. This was just all levels of chaos. It was fantastic to watch. The crowd was into it from top to bottom. The other thing that I've written down here, Hawk uses the fire extinguisher like a player would um, in SmackDown, Here Comes the Pain, because he's, he's spraying everyone. It's such a fun match, and I yeah. heartily agree with you. that Yeah, this is definitely one to, one to track down. It's one of those matches where you could show your friends and everyone will love it and just all cheer there are so many big movements it's almost like a mini royal rumble in the sense that there's that many wrestlers in the ring you just d'lo brown's in a suit he gets involved clarence mason finally gets punched out too like this is such a good ending to the nation feud as well for like at this point for them to all get their comeuppance pg-13 get beat up at the end too like Mm. they've been annoying for so long it's a perfect wrestlemania ending match you know PG-13 also, uh, Ahmed Johnson steals one of PG-13's hat and puts it on his head and it just does not fit Ahmed's massive bonds. It's just so good. That was the other fun thing. There were these fun, like sort of, you know, half comedy moments, which I think sometimes you need in hardcore matches too. What about Hawk with the oversized two by four or whatever it was? He goes to hit someone in the corner. They move. He hits the turnbuckle so hard that it flies it out of his hand. And then he catches it. Catches it, it yeah. Awesome. The only moment in the match that missed for me, I thought it was going to be sick. Animal was going to pile drive Farouk onto the French commentary table. He gets him up, but then he, he like can't commit to it. And he just collapses. He's like, oh, I don't want to do this. Yeah, it was almost like he gets, because he full on gets him into the pile drive position and then yeah. sort of goes... Yeah, maybe not. And then sort of okay. go sideways. I think the crowd didn't see it properly and they still chant. Like there are so many LOD chants here. The crowd is arguably as hot for this match as Brett and Austin. Like they loved it. I I thought that the the end of the Brett and Austin um, match was the turning point for the pay-per-view. This is where it'll get good because the LOD and Nation match is, is fire. However, once LOD win... 
Um, they get the beat downs. Everyone's happy. It's a massive pop. You think this is the show's back on the on the <laughs> yeah. show's back on the rails here, guys? We've Thank done. God we've salvaged it, Johnson. <laughs> it's like you know, we've just had two great ones. Yeah. Now we get to the main event. It's going to be it's great. Be we've salvaged it. Yeah. We've salvaged it. Oh no, no, unfortunately not. I, I just, not. I, I just want to say the end, like post match beat down. You know, LOD and Ahmed win. And then, yeah, they put both members of PG-13 on their shoulders. Hawk hits a double doomsday device. That might be the pop of the night. Like, that Mm. was it for this show. And then it is, yeah, like you said, back back to WrestleMania 13. Although, prior to that, we we have to mention D'Lo Brown in a suit with suspenders getting a Pearl River plunge. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a good match. Yeah. Do yourself a favor. Okay, look, if you're going to if you're going to if you take anything away from listening to this podcast and you want to go back and rewatch the Brett versus Austin match, once it's done, hang around for a bit. Just hang around for another 15 minutes because you're going to see an awesome street fight. This is the this do you know what it is? It's the same level of the WrestleMania 17 hardcore fight. Oh, absolutely. Just this fun, dumb brawl that's hardcore and entertaining like anyone would love it. Like you said, casual fans would love it. I reckon if you showed someone who doesn't watch wrestling or a lot of it, Okada and Kenny Omega, seven-star match, they'd say, man, this is really long and I don't get why you think this is good. But if I showed them this and said this was a seven-star match, they'd probably agree. I, I agree with you 100% there too. Like it was, it's just a really good match. So thankfully, if you do want to watch the good parts of WrestleMania 13, they're, they're concertined together, which is, <laughs> that's it. Which is very, very handy. Um, we move, we then see another plug for in your house. Um, there is 18,000 fans in Chicago, which seems very small for a WrestleMania. But then when you remember the era, it's actually quite normal for a WrestleMania. Yeah, we then pack. have, yeah, yeah, we then have HPK because remember they're not doing stadium shows. They don't do stadium shows for a long while yet. Um, HPK is in street clothes and then comes out. He's still a fan favorite. The point where the crowd like is grabbing him, they're pulling him as he's walking down the aisle. So much so that his music has to repeat because he's still paddling to fans. Yeah, that's right. They won't let him get out of the aisle. It takes him forever to get to the ring. They replay the music. And Vince McMahon says, oh, Shawn Michaels, he's brassy. There's no doubt about that. And King says, what? I don't know what that's meant to mean either. Yeah, there are some things like you forget just how much Vince loves Shawn Michaels, the way that he, oh, the heartbreaker. He Almost charismatic. <laughs> yeah. He goes brassy mean? Is it a good thing? Yeah, that's lost on me as well. Yeah, Maybe okay. it's something to do with the brass ring. Oh, he's he's the brassiest. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Which in Vince's, in, I don't know. I guess in Vince speak, that makes a lot of sense. But look, <laughs> yeah. that leads us to a cutaway of another Sid promo where Sid has the weirdest cadence when he talks. It's just, he just doesn't quite figure it out when to be soft and when to be loud. But that's why it works, I think. That's why he's psycho <laughs> Sid. Honestly, this is it for Sid though, isn't it? He doesn't have another yep. big moment. I'm pretty sure he's gone after this. I think they, they, they might have. Well, we'll talk about it as we get into the match. But uh, so take it's Saker versus Sid for the WWF uh, Championship match. Now, Vince gets so he pops so much when Taker does the arms and the lights go up. Mm. What I thought was interesting was a couple of things. First off, 
Vince makes mention that, you know, Taker's wearing classic attire. This is the same sort of thing that we saw him in his WrestleMania debut. And JR also says he has never lost at a WrestleMania. I noticed that too, because they always say, oh, we didn't even know there was a streak until WrestleMania uh, 18 or whatever. But I reckon you mentioned it here. I do think that it became a thing at WrestleMania 18 because at the end of the match, Taker does that little, you know, like he He did the fingery thing. He did the fingery thing and then did the 10 to the crowd, like the the old Ty Dillinger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But look, you're right because... Um, this is the last big hurrah for Sid because I think he's in a program with Bret Hart. I'm not sure whether or not, but um, Bret saunters down to the ring, mm. calls out HBK. He winches to Taker, winches to Sid. Sid does not care. He's laughing at the face of Bret Hart at this point in time. And Bret gets a powerbomb for his troubles and that gets a massive cheer. Yeah, huge cheer because I think people were sort of annoyed at Brett at this point for him to really rub it in now and yeah I think you knew by this point Brett is a bad guy and you should hate him the only thing that muddies it is that Sid is sort of the bad guy here though in this match so it makes it hard to know are we meant to hate Brett and Sid I don't know I don't know because it's just like it because like you said Sid's gone in a month or so. So they have their little blow-off match. I think they have a blow-off match at least because I'm pretty sure at the next pay-per-view, Sid's not on it. But uh, yeah, he just sort of dis- it's, it, it's his final hurrah here. But uh, a couple of highlights, though, off this match. And that is, Shawn Michaels is fantastic on commentary. I've always liked him on commentary. He ends up having a stint on Raw during his hiatus. And, you know, he's always jumping in as a guest commentator throughout the years. He's a little bit cheesy and a little bit fake, but that's what works. And that's why it's good. You know, he throws out a lot of one-liners and cliches, but it's great. Like he could be a commentator and I'd be cool with it. Mm. One thing that I'm absolutely not cool with is who in their right mind thought that Sid Vicious could go for a half an hour? Because obviously someone didn't think he could. They had Sean drain it with the entrance. They had Brett come out. They were trying to kill as much time as they could. But then someone looked at the clock and said, mate, we've got half an hour to go. (laughs) For some reason, you're the heel, so you've got to control the match. (laughs) Sid can't be the... No, I think we've figured out why this is Sid's greatest run from, you know, international incident to here. Because he was positioned as a face and Sid Mm. as a face is easy. Beat him up a little bit and then he does cool moves to you and he walks off. That's it. Powerbomb, that's it. Yeah. Oh my stars, this is just it's it's so slow, it's plodding. It, and and this is just imagine how slow it would have been if this was still Zombie Undertaker. <laughs> he might as well have been. All that <laughs> happens is Sid does nerve holes and a, and a few punches, and then at one point Taker turns the tide and gets in control, and then he does a rest hold. Why would mm. that happen? This match. My God, I like I know I said this is in the bottom five WrestleManias of all time. If we just take this main event, this has to be bottom five WrestleMania main events ever. It's never spoken about. No one says it's underrated. No one says you got to check it out. Like people don't even talk about it. It's so bad. It doesn't even have the reputation of being bad. It has a reputation of not even an, like it never happened. Mm. 
There's Bret Hart shenanigans, which I completely forgot about. When Bret yeah. came out, I was just like, oh, yeah, did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, when he comes out again. I thought, oh, I don't remember him getting involved in the the ending. Yeah, same here. I was just like, mm, this seems odd. But yeah. yeah, I I it was really easy to zone out here because you're just like, oh, it's still going. <laughs> oh, more rest holes, which is such a shame because Undertaker wins. It's his second time ho- holding the WWF Championship. It's the first time he's held it since 1991. So he's waited a good six years and he had to win it off Sid Vicious and a very bored crowd. <laughs> and what's a shame though? We've seen Sid have some of the like biggest ovations since 96. He's having these exciting, fun segments and promos and matches. He's in there with The Undertaker, who's been doing good stuff up to this point too. And it just does not work. And then to make it worse, Undertaker gets his big moment, but he was never in control of the match. He never Mm -hmm. looked dominant, even though he's The Undertaker. And he only wins because Brett interfered. Correct. It's, It's such a... It almost is... Uh, when you think about it, like there's so many p- aspects of the Undertaker's career, and it is a legendary career, but it just there are so many parts that just didn't work. Like his entire finale at uh, Survivor Series last year just didn't work. His entire and, finale from WrestleMania like 31 onwards, just yeah, wrap it up. It's mate. just it's just been such a and this sort of like look, congratulations to Taker, a well deserved champ, but and he has a pretty good run, but. uh and then we get the most abrupt end of the pay-per-view. Like he does the rest in peace sort of, you know, raise the end thing with the title and then fades to black. I don't even think there's a Vince McMahon. Good night, everybody. No. And and I think, I can't remember if it was this era or a little bit after when they would recap the whole WrestleMania in a video package. They don't do that. Yeah, it just ends. And that that's the ending this show deserves. Just, ah, we're Very much so. Look, it's... I know we try to be fairly positive, but my, oh my, this is definitely a very skippable WrestleMania. If you do want to watch any aspects of it, I heartily recommend, like Simon did, just get the chunk that's got Brett versus Austin and the street fight with LOD and Ahmed Johnson versus The Nation. And that's pretty much summed it up. If it was just those two matches, perfectly serviceable show. But you want to talk about one match doing all the heavy lifting when it comes to a WrestleMania. It is this one. Yeah. And I know there are other WrestleManias that have a bad reputation. Look at the very least, this has two good matches, but just because of how bad everything else is, there's nothing memorable. There's no vibe. This has got to Yeah. I don't know. Bottom three for me, WrestleManias. What a shame because the WWE in 96 was pretty entertaining. Yeah, the streak of good pay-per-views has just been ruined by the biggest show of the year. And you, you almost go, go to think of it like, if that Austin match, if Austin versus Brett was not on this card, how much of a disaster would that have been? Yeah, it'd be down there with WrestleMania 11 and 9. Mm, crazy, crazy stuff. But look, that, tell us, let us know what you think. I mean, you you might have think, what are you guys talking about? This was the greatest WrestleMania in the world. It's my favorite. Definitely. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I doubt that. But hey, for whatever reason, if you do disagree with this or you do want to just reinforce the idea that this is the worst WrestleMania of all time, let us know. At Doc Nims, if you want to get in touch with me. At Simon Tackler, if you want to get in touch with Simon. But I'll tell you what, at least we've got something good to wash out this horrible taste because next up, 
on Reliving the War. We're going to relive WCW Uncensored. That's coming up next. But let's, I think it's fairly obvious, Simon, before we wrap up, there's one clear MVP match when when we talk about WrestleMania 13 and one main event play here. And that is, of course, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you got to to be fair, like if we're actually really being... um, clear cut here clear cut just really... this pay-per-view just this just show this... <laughs> no but like you'd have to say brett really does a lot of heavy lifting here yeah. i mean he's he's doing a lot to he's got a lot to lose it almost seems like he's been sacrificed um, for the wwf to win against wcw doesn't it yeah that's true we should give it to brett for the amazing work he did in getting austin over and then for whatever reason, getting involved in the main event to facilitate the title switch. We've got to give it to Brett. When it, when it comes to the worst thing in the card, well, I think it speaks for itself. Take your man, pick. You could point anything, point at anything. You know what? But it's yeah. probably got to be the main event, honestly. Because the main event has to be held at a higher standard. This might True. be, not, over, not even just WrestleMania, out of all of the pay-per-views we've watched, WCW, we've always gotten the entertaining Hogan formula match. Even the worst ones have been pretty fun to watch. WWE, mm. we've gotten the amazing Shawn Michaels matches. And, you know, even Brett versus Sid was okay a few months ago. This was the worst main event match we've seen since starting this show. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. It is just horrible, which is such a shame because we know that Sid is good. We, like, we don't even talk about how good The Undertaker is, but it's just slow plodding boring just absolutely boring i've actually written that down in my notes boring af is what i've actually (laughs) written down in capital letters so it's a bit of a shame but look thankfully that's it we know how the following years wrestlemania went and can't wait to get to that one but let's just say that there is a lot for the WWF to rebuild at the next In Your House pay-per-view. No wonder they were advertising it so much. <laughs> no, just like, like, look, we've got, a, instead. we've got a better one coming. We promise. We promise. <laughs> we don't just know get what's through. on it, but it'll be good. <laughs> just get through this and we will give you another a better pay-per-view next month. But yeah. I had to look yeah. it up. The next In Your House is in fact Revenge of the Taker. And it's The Undertaker versus Mankind. And I know we've watched them wrestle a bunch already at this point. This match, though, is underrated. From what I remember, they beat the crap out of each other, and it's a good one. So at least we get that. We also get another Brett versus Austin, which I uh, I think is an absolute bun, but or I could be confusing it with another pay-per-view. But either way, uh, at least Revenge of the Take or something to look forward to. The next edition of Reliving the War, though, is a WCW show. I'm actually quite looking forward to it because <laughs> do you reckon that the WCW were like, oh, no, what have they got planned for WrestleMania? This is going to, we, and we're like, I think we're right. What have, what have we got for Uncensored? <laughs> Whatever we've got, it can't be worse than that. So I actually, I think we're falling into this now. I don't remember off the top of my head any of these WCW cards, but I imagine it'll be fun. It, it will be. We're at the stage, the last time we had a WCW edition of Reliving the War, it was when Macho Man Randy Savage joined the NWO. So no doubt Ooh, yeah. we'll have some great we'll have some great NWO shenanigans. But uh, Simon, it's been, I'd love to say it's been a pleasure. It's been good to catch up and talk about a horrible pay for you, but please let's never, ever speak of WrestleMania 13 again. Now on to WrestleMania 14.
<laughs> and onwards. But yes, if you want to check out some of the other pay-per-views that we have covered, both WWF and WCW, you can do so by checking out Grey Wolf Entertainment on the social media. That's Grey Wolf ENT. Or you can go to greywolfentertainment.net. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can. That's Doc Nims. If you want to follow Simon, you can do so at Simon Tackler. But we'll be back again with another edition of Reliving the War. It is WCW Uncensored. We'll catch you then. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. GreyWolfEntertainment.net.